Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Hey everyone, welcome back. Welcome back team. It's another fabulous interview that I have for you today. Um, Dr. Thomas Seafried is to guest. Now, Dr. Thomas is one of the, well, I'd say he's actually the foremost uh, cancer research or one of the most foremost cancer researchers on the planet for 30 odd years. Uh, he received his PhD in genetics and biochemistry uh, in 1976, he did his undergraduate work at the University of New England. Uh, he holds a master's degree in genetics. He uh, was also uh, served in the United States Army's 1st Cavalry, Cavalry Division in Vietnam and received many uh, war uh, medals and commendations. He's a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Neurology at Yale New, uh, University School of Medicine and then served on the faculty as assistant professor in neurology. Uh, he's received dozens and dozens of awards. He's published over 150 peer-reviewed publications and he's also the author of the book Cancer as a Met- Metabolic Disease. I know that was all a bit of a mouthful but I, I want you to understand understand that this guy is at the top. He knows what he's talking about. And today we are talking about uh, the metabolic approach to cancer. Once again, uh, Dr. Thomas is also in the movie that mum and I were interviewed for, Cancer Evolution, that's coming out uh, in September. Um, and uh, it's a series, actually, and uh, it's talking to a lot of survivors. And this has been done by Maggie Bradley uh, Jones, Maggie and Bradley Jones, uh, who are doing the cancer evolution. Um, and I'd love you to check that out. I'd also love you to consider uh, donating to the foundation that support Dr. Thomas Seyfried's work. Uh, Travis Christofferson, who was on the show, runs a foundation, and I'll have a link in the uh, show notes where you can make a, a donation to this research because this is research that's really saving lives. Um, it's understanding that this that cancer is a metabolic disease, that it originates in the mitochondria and that we, we can do something about it through diet and through lifestyle interventions and we're not and off-label drug combinations and supplements and all the other things that go around it but understanding that glutamine and glucose are the key key drivers of cancer so listen to this amazing research uh, if you have cancer if you have a loved one with cancer please reach out to me i have uh, published a a um Ebook, which is an interview series with uh, many of the top scientists and doctors and researchers in this field. In my last few years, as I've studied and done a deep dive into cancer, um, after my mum was diagnosed with a CNS lymphoma, um, a terminal diagnosis over 20 months ago and was given two months to live. She's still um, doing very well. So um, we we really need to get this information out there. I have that book and Dr. Thomas Seafried's interview will also be a part of that book. Um, so I do hope you enjoy. It's been a long time in the making, this one, and I'm really appreciative of Dr. Thomas's time. Um, and while you're there, head over to lisatarmody.com, check out everything we do. 
do our anti-aging and uh, longevity supplement range. Check out our genetics programs, our epigenetics programs, our corporate wellness program, um, corporate speaking, of course, all of those things that we do, uh, me and my team, and uh, we've got lots going on. So please head over to lisa.tamati.com and support the show that way. Do a rating and review for the show if you can, and all of that sort of good stuff that helps support us in our mission to get great information direct to you the the consumers out there who need to know about this stuff. So very, very passionate about this one. And over to the show now with Dr. Thomas Seafried. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Lisa Tamati here. I am so, so excited to introduce you to one of the most eminent luminaries in the field of cancer, Dr. Thomas Seyfried, who's with us to guest today to share his incredible research and information that could literally save your life. So listen up, people. Um, Dr. Thomas, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you. Oh, well, very nice to be here, Lisa. Thank you very much. Um, I just gave you a little bit of a backstory on my mum before we started recording. And, you know, I feel like you and, and and many of your colleagues as well that are working in the space literally have saved her life. So thank you for the work that you are doing. It is uh, incredibly important and and uh, very dear to my heart that we get this message out there of um, the the problems with the 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 cancer. The cancer is 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 a horrific thing to be faced with, um, and for decades, science has really followed the somatic a genetic uh, theory of, of cancer. Can you go into why that's barking up the wrong tree or not quite correct? And where, you know, where do we start with this metabolic approach to cancer? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very good question. Of course, it's, it's kind of a, a long story. Um, how, do, how did we get today in treating people for cancer in a most incorrect way. Uh, not only there in New Zealand, where you are, uh, but also here in the United States and almost every major Western country, uh, or let's put it this way, um, technologically advanced society does the same thing over and over again. Um, and the treatments that are being developed uh, you, you have to approach a scientific problem with a with a with a kind of um, a, a theory as to what the nature of the disease is, because if you really understand the nature of the disease, then the treatments that you use to manage the disease are linked to the hard science of the disease. So most of the treatments today for cancer are based on the view that cancer is a genetic disease, called the somatic mutation theory of cancer which exploded probably after uh, DNA was, the structure of DNA was first discovered um, in that early 1950s uh, through the 1950s when DNA became uh, a really hot topic in gene regulation. And, uh, you know, scientists, I, I have a degree in, a doctoral degree in genetics and biochemistry. And we all knew about mutations. They would, you know, cause shortness or tallness or change flower colors. And, you know, people had certain albinism and different kinds of things. And we all knew these were controlled by mutations. But then in the 50s, when DNA was finally, the structure was elucidated by Watson and Crick and others, um, 
people began to see broken and abnormal DNA in cancer cells. And um, based on that and the uh, surge of scientific interest in gene expression and diseases related to gene mutations, it only became natural that the field uh, ran and, and stampede into this whole idea that all of these, if you look at tumors from any person or any place, they're loaded with broken DNA and broken chromosomes and individual point mutations and all this, you know, but before the DNA revolution, uh, Otto Warburg in Germany had clearly defined uh, what cancer was. And he was a very dominant aristocratic uh, German um, and he had shown clearly that cancer arises as the result of a disturbance in energy metabolism. Um, and because of that, the cells to get energy had to fall back on an ancient pathway, uh, an heirloomic pathway of fermentation, mm -hmm. uh, which is energy without oxygen. Mm -hmm. So he had clearly defined all of this, uh, that cancer clearly arose every Every major tumor that he studied uh, was using this ancient fermentation pathway, even in the presence of oxygen, which should which should never happen. And uh, he was a, a very dominant. He had received the Nobel Prize in the 1930s for his discovery of the respiratory enzyme in the mitochondrion. In mm -hmm. other words, the enzyme that allowed us to generate energy by by breathing oxygen. The cytokine. So he was a very dominant guy. Hitler. Uh, protected him during the Second World War because he was a half Jew. And Hitler was, as crazy as Hitler was, he was smart enough to know that if anyone was going to cure cancer, it was going to be Otto Warburg. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't that dumb, right? So yeah. Hitler cured cancer. And it, it was a very interesting story that Sam Apple just put out in his book called mm. Ravenous, mm. The History of but the problem is, was when in 1950s, when DNA was recognized as the genetic material and cancer cells had damaged DNA, um, uh, they threw Warburg under the bus yep. and they moved on from him. From him. He, he, um, there were some criticisms, which now have re we have completely resolved and shown how he was so correct in what he thought, but he didn't have all of the information that we have today. So... Um, we then I started to jump into this whole thing because we were doing research here at Boston College and seeing how powerful water only fasting was in targeting all of these different uh, factors that were supposed to be cancer drivers. And then we saw a complete correlation between the level of sugar in the blood and how fast the tumor would grow. Mm. And we realized that the higher the sugar, the faster the tumor, the lower the sugar, the slower the tumor would grow. And this is exactly what Warburg said. And then we realized the sugar drives these ancient heirloomic pathways. So it became very clear that uh, this shift from energy through oxygen consumption to energy through ancient fermentation was, in fact, the driver of this dysregulated cell growth. And yep. it turns out that the mutations that we see that are the focus of the somatic mutation theory and the development of the current approaches to manage cancer are all downstream effects uh, of this damaged uh, uh, energy metabolism. So the field is, is chasing effects, not the causes of, of the cancer. And this now can 
uh, accounts, you know, when we irradiate people, um, we just try to incinerate as many growing cells as possible because the cells are growing out of control for the reasons of gene mutations. And then we try poisonous chemicals that are supposed to stop the replication of the abnormal DNA. And then we come in with immunotherapies and precision medicine, which are targeting the mutations and the pathways of the mutations. And none of this stuff is working because it's not based on the underlying correct theory, which we have clearly shown to be correct, that these cells can't live without these fuels that drive the energy, the ancient energy pathways. And we have interrogated the cancer cells and have shown that only two fuels can drive the abnormal growth, and that's the sugar glucose and the well-known amino acid glutamine. And as long as the cancer cells have access to these two fuels in the body, they have the chance of continuing to grow and spread. And then we learned that because their organelle, the mitochondria that gets energy through oxygen, because that is defective, these cancer cells cannot burn ketone bodies, which come from when you water only fasting. Yeah. You, you lower sugar and elevate ketone bodies because your brain needs glucose, but it can switch to these water-soluble ketone bodies, which come from breakdown fat. So the fat in our fat cells goes to our liver and chops up the fat into these water-soluble smaller molecules that go to the brain and other organs that have good respiration. But the tumor cell can't use this because their respiration is defective. So, so it helps the normal cells and marginalizes the tumor cells. So if you can elevate the ketone bodies and reduce glucose and glutamine, the two fuels that drive the fermentation, you now have a real powerful tool uh, to manage the cancer. And what we do now is we use that transition of the body, and then we add these different kinds of small drugs repurpose drugs in very low dosages to eliminate any toxicity. And now these repurposed drugs become laser beams to kill these tumor cells without the toxicity. It's unbelievable. It's just based on the correct knowledge of what the cancer is. Yeah. Once you understand that, then you realize the crazy stuff that we're doing to these cancer patients is essentially medieval. It's based on a, on a flawed understanding of the disease and an incorrect theory. And so, it's going to shorten your life too when you're, when you're oh, doing, you know, like the oxidative stress that it comes from yes. it. And if we look at the, the ancient, our ancient DNA, like when, like our ancestors, our, you know, native ancestors here, the Maori overseas, the Aboriginals, the Red Indians, the, you know, all of the peoples, they generally didn't have cancer, did they? Like it's no. a modern day, you know, yeah. much more of a modern day thing. And people say, well, maybe they didn't live long enough to get it. But I think it's really got another reason. And it's that fact that we have now radically changed two things. We've radically changed uh, the toxins in our environment and the food yeah. that we're eating. And we yes. were always in a half-starved state when yes. we were uh, as people. So now we are surrounded by food. Unfortunately, we've got the genetics that drives us to find food and to yeah. eat food. And we and have- to store and to but, yeah, store it. And to store it. And we have yes. also got, you know, the genetics. We, 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 are, we are trained, if you like, genetically to go and search out carbohydrates because they were rare. 
Yes. Now, when they're on every street corner and you've got the big food industry that is hell-bent on making you addicted to their particular type of food as well, then you've got uh, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a mess, you know, when you've, yeah. got, when you've got that going on. Um, yeah. And, and right. you're not getting into states of ketosis like we were regularly. Yeah. Um, yes. So glutamine and glucose. So going back to so Otto Warburg, um, the, the, it's the mitochondria that go awry first, isn't it? Not yes. the, so the genetics that happen, the, the changes and the mutations happen later on in the piece, but it's the mitochondria. So if you took the, the, that, that famous experiment where they took the nucleus out of a healthy cell and put it into, oh, which way around was it? Into yeah, a yeah. damaged mitochondria or the other way around. Um, yeah, yes, both yeah. ways. Well, I did that. I published that paper in nineteen uh, or tw- uh, twenty fifteen, and mm-hmm. all I did uh, was take and summarize a series of experiments that had been published for over many decades uh, in different animal species, different tumors, different approaches, and I looked at the nuclear transfer experiments. Um, and none of the folks that were doing these experiments were asking whether or not the data would support the somatic mutation theory or the mitochondrial metabolic theory. The the reason was, is that all of those experiments were done uh, under the silent assumption. Well, they weren't even interested in genetics. The the purpose of those experiments, cancer, they were not interested in cancer. They were only interested in a singular question. Can the nucleus of a cancer cell direct normal development? It wasn't to test the somatic mutation theory. The answer was, yes, nuclei from cancer cells can direct development in a frog or a mouse or a rat or one of these things only up until a certain point, and then the organism would abort. And it turned out that uh, depending upon how many mutations were in the nucleus that was being transferred determined how far in development the organism would go before it imploded or aborted. And, and, and the, the reason was because there was a mutation that was absolutely critical at some point in development required to move from one stage of development to the next stage, a more advanced, complete stage. And that was not there. So the organism aborted. So, but at no time did any of these organisms uh, show a dysregulated cell growth. So one would have to assume that none of the mutations in those nucleus were sufficient by themselves to cause what we call cancerous is dysregulated uh, dysregulated cell growth. And um, on the other hand, if you took the normal nucleus and put it into the cytoplasm of a tumor cell, you either got dead cells or cancer, dysreg- cells with dysregulated growth. So that clearly said it was something in the cytoplasm, not the nucleus, that was driving dysregulated cell growth. And Otto Warburg clearly said it's the mitochondria that's responding, and they're in the cytoplasm. So uh, uh, the, our focus of attention in cancer is now completely shifted to a completely different organelle that runs the metabolism of the cell. And that organelle, the mitochondrion, maintains the differentiated quiescent state uh, of, of adult normal differentiated cells. And when that organelle becomes gradually corrupted in some way, it loses its ability to maintain stability and the cells fall back on these ancient pathways 
of dysregulated cell growth because that same organelle controls the cell cycle, which leads to dis and is and the cell will grow dysregulated based as long as it has these fermentable fuels in its environment, which is the glucose and the glutamine. Because it turns out that all of the cells on the planet two billion years ago, when there was no oxygen, no oxygen, they all used the same fermentable fuels. Yeah. So the cancer cell is simply going back Reversing. to the time when there's no oxygen. And so, so it's, not that, it's not that complicated. You, you need to know evolutionary biology and you need to understand energy metabolism. And you, we need to understand genetics because when you understand genetics, you know that the arguments for the somatic mutation theory cannot be correct. So you really have to know genetics and you have to know what's correct and what's not correct. And the somatic mutation theory, which is the driver of all of the major cancer developments and treatments, is incorrect. And as the result, we have an epidemic of cancer, uh, also linked to what you said about the food. Uh, it, it, the food obesity is putting us, replace smoking as the number, as a major risk factor for cancer. And it's all related to the chemicals in the environment. It's all related to the abnormal food environment that we have. And now we have suffering this, and it's not just cancer, it's diabetes, um, Type two diabetes, dementia, cardiovascular disease—all yeah. of these so-called they're all tied in. Blood pressure—it's all linked to the same thing. Exactly. And so you, you fix, you know, you, you know. I've had lots of clients where they've got type two diabetes. We put them on a keto diet, get them exercising, doing. And hello, 10, 10 years, fifteen years as a diabetic, no longer insulin dependent, no longer diabetic. It's yes. not. It's not rocket science. It's no. difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy for the person. They've got to make change. But yeah. they're in control once they understand, but they've never been told mm-hmm. about this, how this works. And then this is the mind-blowing thing that you can actually help. I mean, and diabetes is the gateway for all of these things, Alzheimer's and all the rest of it. In fact, it starts yeah. earlier with insulin resistance. Yeah. Um, so, so you said glucose and glutamine. Now, Glucose, like we can lower our glucose, we can go on a carb, low carb diet, a keto diet. Where our, our, so you're, you're saying all the other cells beside the cancer cells can actually use ketones and fatty acids to uh, to to survive and thrive, but the cancer cells need the glucose and the glutamine. Now I sort of get that. Now the glutamine is the tougher one, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. I've run into a situation with my mum. I've had her on a low, you know, at the very start, you know, fasting or very, very low, basically a few vegetables on a plate, and that was it. So while we went hard out in this press pulse, you know, killing phase, yeah. then we got on top of it. Uh, and the, the the problem I ran into was um, recently a GI bleed. So she had two GI bleeds. Now we've been running her low on glutamine. We've been mm-hmm. running, you know, um, it, and we need glutamine, don't we? We need it for the immune system, the urea yeah. cycle. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so this one's a little bit tougher than the glucose, isn't it? Because we can't yeah. go without glutamine altogether. So no, how do we no. deal with that? Yeah, well, that's that's what we that's our uh, pulse uh, strategy of the press pulse. You can press glucose really, really low, um, and create a tremendous deficit as long as ketone bodies can be elevated. Ketone bodies can replace glucose for most of the body's energy metabolism. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
um, the cancer cell uses glucose to, for a metabolite synthesis. They need to building blocks to grow new cells. And the carbons from glucose are essential for the cancer cell. But don't forget, our normal cells are not growing in any great speed. So they're fine as long as they have, as long as they have some energy. But what we found, and it's only some of the, can you have to realize there are some cancer cells that are more dependent on glucose than glutamine. And mm-hmm. then there's other cancer cells that are dependent on both glucose and glutamine. And the ones that are metastatic, the ones that spread through your body, uh, we have shown clearly that all metastatic cancers, regardless of where they arise, whether it's the breast, the colon, the bladder, the lung, they have characteristics of macrophages, Mm. which are part of our immune system. The macrophage is a major cell in in our bodies it, it fights bacterial infections. It, it reconfigures bre- broken tissue and all this. It has a tremendous role in the gut. It has a tremendous role in maintaining the health and vitality uh, of our immune cells. And that's, they're all glutamine. These cells all uh, use glutamine uh, uh, excessively uh, and glucose. So some cancer cells are more glucose dependent. Others are gl- glutamine and glucose dependent. So the question then is, how do you target a, an essential, a, 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 a fuel yes. that not only drives the cancer cell, uh, but also is essential for the very immune system that we need to maintain our health? It's a bit tougher. So this, is, this is why we developed this strategy where if we put a chokehold on the glucose levels and raise the ketone level, then we come in with a short burst, an attack on the glutamine. because what that will do will be killing the cancer cells. It paralyzes the immune system, but it doesn't kill the immune system. It just stuns the immune system, but it kills the cancer cells. So then we pull the glutamine drug off, allow the recovery of our immune cells to do what they do, which is pick up dead corpse bodies and things like this, clean up the micro environment. The micro environment of a tumor is very messy. And uh, it's coming from the fermentation. So the tumor cells take in glucose and glutamine and the waste products acidify the microenvironment. Right. So, so you pull the plug on the, on the fermentation fuels, you kill them with a small dose like 6-deoxynorleucine and there's a number of other small drugs that are coming out that could be effective, but they only work when you target the glucose, if you do not target the glucose, none of this will work. Because that's so, the main player here. Yeah. And you know, we just published a paper today it, it, or yesterday showing how if we put it a, a on, on pediatric brain cancer, a, a, a model, uh, a preclinical, a beautiful preclinical model for pediatric brain cancer, where they use all these drugs with they weren't effective in targeting this or targeting that. So we choke choke off the glucose, we put them under therapeutic ketosis, and then we hit them with these drugs that will target the glutamine pathway and kill these tumor cells like you can't believe. But wow. you can only do it you can only do it in a short. You have to know it's a powerful weapon, but you have to know how to use the weapon. And exactly. This is the tough part when you haven't got access to yourself. Like, you know, we live here in New Zealand and when we go to our local doctor, they're not going to know about glutamine blocking no. drugs. Yeah. Well, this is the whole thing. I mean, we're transit, we're transitioning the entire cancer industry over to the, mm. to treat the right way. 
And physicians need to know that it's a metabolic disease. They need to know that it can't use ketone bodies to grow. They can't. They need to know that they're dependent on glucose and glutamine, and they need to know how to use glutamine targeting drugs effectively. Yeah, now physicians, they should be very excited about this because now they can certainly practice dosage timing and scheduling. And not every, not everybody will need one dosage or another, or need it for this long or that long, or need it scheduled with this or that. So that's what our research is right now. Our research is not considered, it's, it, we, it, the, the field would consider it unsexy science because, <laughs> because all we're trying to do is find the best dosage timing and scheduling to get rid of the cancer. Yeah. And you know, um, when you go to the top medical schools, regardless of where they are, they're all interested in intricate mechanisms. Of yeah, this. the mutations of this they're, and they're, that. They're not interested in the, the resolution of cancer. Uh, get rid of it. I say once, let's get rid of it, or at least put it under managed control. And then once we can do that for the majority of people living with cancer on the planet, we can always go back for the next several hundred years and then figure out all the detailed minutiae mechanisms. Yep. But why yep. should we allow all these poor cancer patients to suffer and die while we're looking for the minutiae when we have a solution in hand right now that can work? But we need to train physicians and oncologists to know how to use the new weaponry. Yep. Uh, and it's and a lot of it falls on the shoulders of the patient now. The patient and totally, you know, like like uh, us. Major, uh, you have yeah. the patient themselves have to be participatory in the healing process. Yep. So and they if have they to don't do want to participate, study. it's not going to work. Uh, and it takes like you know, we we were given a terminal diagnosis by a dozen doctors with mum. And you're not going to survive this. And this is very aggressive and very quick, um, you know, and there was nothing you could do. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. There is so much that we can do. And I've struggled to get the things that I need to get for her. And I've done, um, uh, you know, off-label drug combinations, the metformin, atavastatin, yeah. doxycycline, mabendazole. What's your take on those? And what's your yeah, so we do, that's our paper that we also just published with embendazole. Yeah. Showing that it has some therapeutic benefit in simultaneously targeting glucose and glutamine. Uh -huh. But if you if you but the way you do that, you've got to in order for those drugs to really have the biggest impact, you have to lower that blood sugar yeah. and put the chokehold on the sugar. Yeah. And then you did that. And embendazole is used in India for parasite you know, worms. I mean, everybody in the population takes embendazole. Yeah. So uh, um, it's not a toxic drug. And it even becomes more powerful against cancer once you prepare the patient for the drug. So yeah. step one is clean the mess up, prepare the patient, get him into, get him into ketosis, and then hit him with these uh, glutamine-targeting drugs, glucose-glutamine-targeting drugs, and do it until the cancer goes away. I mean, uh, people say, oh, how long do I have to do this? I don't know. I mean, just do it as long. Some people may have to do it for 10 months. Some people for, for, for two years. I, the answer is I don't know. Um, our, our guy, Pablo Kelly from Devon, England, who has a glioblastoma, is now out um, nine years this August. Mm -hmm. Wow. And his tumor is still there. Okay. Yep. Is Pablo cured? No. But Pablo has lived nine years longer than With the worst cancer that there is. Yeah, yeah, he's had a, a married. He's had two kids. He would have never had any of this had he followed the standard of care. So, and is uh, is two two deoxyglucose? Um, is that a 
glutamine uh, inhibitor, like the 2-deoxynoroleucine? No, no uh, 2-DG targets glu uh, a glucose pathway. Um, ah, and it also has off-target effects. But, but the issue with 2-D, and that's what Warburg and some of those other guys, they didn't know about the glutamine problem. No. So they were just strictly trying to target the glucose. And not only that, they also felt that proper nutrition and vitamins might help uh, recover some of the damage to the mitochondria, even, even though Warburg himself said it was an irreversible damage. Uh, he, he never knew how to fully exploit his discovery of the origin. Uh, I picked that up. I knew exactly what I should do, what we should do yeah. to take yeah. advantage of this. So uh, uh, because I, I expanded the area that Warburg didn't have the information in. So Warburg absolutely was correct on the origin of cancer. He just did not know how to exploit that for the management of cancer. Just interrupting the show to let you know about our patron community here and the podcast at Pushing the Limits. We've been going for eight years and we really need your support to keep the show on air and free to everybody so that everyone gets this fantastic information uh, from all these great doctors, scientists, athletes, business people from all around the world. So we would love you to come and join us. You get a lot of exclusive member benefits when you do, but really it's about supporting the show and keeping it on air. And for a coffee or two a month, that would be fantastic if you can come and join us. You can go to patron.lisatamati.com. That's patron.lisatamati.com and check it all out. So now we know it's glucose and glutamine, and now we know we have diet-drug combination cocktails that can really do a lot of damage to these tumor cells while not harming the rest of the body. So, uh, um, what, this do is people, what do people do who can't get the glutamine blockers at the moment? Like you live in well, New Zealand, you know, we can't get yeah, them. Well, that, we, we found that long-term water-only fasting mm -hmm. um, uh, will lower yeah. blood glutamine down. Cahill and a number of people did that. But, mm. you know, when you tell a cancer patient that might not be in good physical shape, yeah. hey, you've got to stop eating food for 14 to 21 days. I mean, they look at you like you're crazy. And yeah. I don't want to. Um, so, you know, what we try to do is is ease them into a, 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 a ketotic state. Uh, and then when you jump from a ketotic state into water-only fasting, the jump is not so traumatic. Mm -hmm. If you take someone on a high glucose diet who's eaten high yeah. carbohydrates, it's going to be this, painful. Oh, it's horrible, man! It's it's hard. It's hard. And people say, "I don't want to do this." Are you? What are you crazy? But if you if you give them a carnivore diet, um, you know, a low calorie, low uh, no no glucose, just meet this guy from Australia, uh, Anthony Chaffee. He he's he's had tremendous success with uh, low carbohydrate, uh, low 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 calorie uh, uh carnivore i'm not mm -hmm. saying plants can't do the same thing it's just harder for our bodies to met metabolize plants and and some plants have more sugar than meat um so you know it's just a I, that's why we developed the glucose ketone index calculator mm -hmm. uh with with a keto mojo uh, meter that allows all the cancer patients uh to get into the zone and yeah. once they're in this low carb, uh, low carb, uh, high fat, high ketone zone, then you can use small doses of a variety of drugs like 2-deoxyglucose, very, very low dose, a little bit of Dawn, very low doses, uh, and variety of other drugs. But if you fast long enough, just water only, uh, we see blood glutamine going down 
and glucose goes down. And I know many, many people who have completely removed their tumor with long-term water-only fasting. But, you know, I'm not a physician. I can't tell anybody what to do or what not to do. Mm. All I can say is when I see people that have done long, long long-term water-only fasting, more than not, more often than not, their their tumors are completely dissolved without taking any glutamine targeting drugs. Wow! So, so that's our um, other option if we can't get the. the yeah, I think that's why I'm I'm more excited about uh, getting people into a low glucose ketone index and then hitting them. Let the physicians do their work by by helping with dosage timing and scheduling because yeah. we're at the very early in, in, in beginning stages of this whole thing. We're going to be able to find many, many drug diet cocktails that will be f- very, very effective in managing cancer. But again, the, p- the patient is going to have to be a key participant in yep. the healing process. Well, you, either that or you die. You know, like, yes. this is the thing. You, you, you can't outsource your health. I've learned that so many yeah. times in the last decade that you have to be an active participant in wanting to get better and you need support. And when I'm working with people with cancer and helping them get it, I get their loved ones on board if I can, because without that support around them, it's also very hard. And you never want to underplay the importance of exercise. Yes. Um, Moderate exercise. Yes. That is all part of the solution. Yes. Um, You just cannot sit on a couch and wait for the, the metabolic therapy to work. It works a hell of a lot better if you're doing exercise and you don't have to go nuts, uh, you know, running marathons and lifting hundreds of pounds of weights or kilos of weights no, or whatever. Which would actually be good, bad. good walking, swimming, something that gets the heart beating, the oxygen in Calories and together in the metabolic yep. state. I'm t- intermittent fasting, you know, eating extremely uh, low calorie, low carbohydrate diets. And people are now becoming very, very uh, innovative in the diets. We have a guy from Greece uh, with lung cancer that metastasized to his lungs and his brain. And he's out now 11 years on wow. a calorie-restricted Mediterranean-type diet mm-hmm. with low-glucose elevated ketone. So we think these can be culturally appropriate metabolic therapies. So, so you don't uh, have to be a carnivore or you could be a vegetarian, you could be a vegan, you can do as long as you are low carb and yeah. you're getting the, yeah. the, the, and what, the, what, the problem. Yeah, what, what we find, though, is when you get the meter and, you know, we publish 2.0 or below. Yeah. Uh, in fact, below is better. Um, it's easier for carnivores than vegans to get into that zone. Let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say a vegan. Vegans are very difficult. Uh, vegetarians. Uh, more vegetarian. Vegetarians have to work a lot longer and harder uh, to get into ketosis uh, than do carnivores. Um, You know, like you said at the beginning, you know, we were all on a level of ketosis in our uh, Paleolithic ancestry. And our Paleolithic ancestors were largely meat eaters. Uh, they would eat uh, vegetables if they could get a hold of them and maybe some, some unripe fruits or whatever, nuts and berries and things. But clearly it was the majority of our food came from from meat. Uh, and we and they were always in some level of ketosis because carbohydrates were not available. You know, um, the Neolithic period is when we started to grow rice, wheat, and corn and all this kind of stuff. And, and they were all a boom, be- which led to civilization because they had higher amounts of calories 
and uh, allowed people to build cities and things around the calories. But our Paleolithic ancestors were hunter-gatherers, but they were always in a state of, of, of semi-ketosis. So most of the plants that we eat have been cultivated. They're not like wild plants. Maybe some of them are. Yeah. But I, I, I think there's a lot of nutrition in certain amount of vegetation. But I don't think it's hard. It's been harder for those vegetarians or especially vegans to get into a GKI. I've had people tell me from different countries who cannot eat meat that they 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 cannot uh, do that and they end up dying. Um, well, so so they can't get they never can get their culture, religion or whatever it is uh, prevents them. Uh, from ever achieving a glucose ketone index that would save their life. So, and what about the glutamine in the meat? You know, like there's amino acids in meat. And, and... Yeah, but it's interesting. It's it's not um, um, uh, it's, it's not it, it's in the micro environment of the tumor. We're testing yep. that right now. We actually have some studies underway right now, asking whether uh, uh, glutamine supplementation of a of a ketogenic diet um, will uh, will enhance growth and the answer is we, we we know that it's certainly not suppressing it's certainly not suppressing the growth of the tumor whether it's going to make it grow faster or not i can't say because the experiments aren't done yet but we plan to do all that we plan to answer all of the yeah. different kinds of questions that come up by both preclinical studies as well as human studies so yeah. we'll know the answer to these questions in the future this, that's great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that because, you know, the glutamine is a bit of a difficult one when you've got, say, yeah. like with mum's case, she's got GI bleed. She nearly died twice of a GI yeah. bleed. So I could yeah. have run her glutamine so low that I was disrupting her microbiome and, you know, no. the, the, the lining yeah. of her gut um, no, and no, kill no, it that no, way. You know what I mean? No, yeah. The, oh, that's is where you need a good um, nutritionist, dietitian, along with the oncologist. Yeah. You, you need each patient <laughs> is a little one. different from the other. Yeah, each patient is a little different from the other. And and that's the nice thing about it is, I mean, you you streamline and build diets and procedures that are appropriate for the physiology of that individual. If it's a male or a female or an old person or a young person, I mean, you, you and their condition, state of condition, everything has to be balanced for that. So that's why you need a, a, a readout, a metabolic readout of each patient before you begin any kind of a treatment. And then you could streamline the treatment based on that person's individual metabolism. Yeah. And uh, and this is the future. So yeah. uh, a patient comes in. Yeah, you're going to say, well, you you know, if you're insulin insensitive, we got to get you back. And if your cholesterol and triglycerides are all screwed up, I mean, we need to get you back. A lot of people are infected with parasites and stuff. I mean, we have to clean you up. Uh, metal imbalances, all kinds of crap in the blood. And, and uh, all of that has to be recognized and has to be dealt with. And it's a process. You're moving a person from a state of unhealth, unwellness to wellness. Yep. And and that person wasn't born unwell. They they acquired unwellness from their diet and lifestyle. And that didn't happen overnight. No. It, took, it took years to that. <laughs> so we have to undo and reconfigure normalcy in the body while at the same time killing off these tumor cells. Yep. So um, it's a beautiful strategy. It's going to be worse. People are going to I, get really yeah. I'm excited to get more nuance into this so that you can, you know, like oh, we've done really well, but yeah. we could do better. And uh, there's more that I don't understand and that I need to understand, especially around well, the glutamine thing. I think that's yeah. Well, that's I where think I'm that's the, that, that's definitely the, the a point of of issue because we're we're not 100 percent sure about it either. 
because we don't know how long to pulse and, uh, mm. you know, dosage, the dosages, the timing, the strategy, that all is work being worked out now. And uh, we have to improve that. Uh, no question about it. I, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I have the solution to the whole cancer problem. I have a solution that needs to be perfected and modified to be, make it much, much more uh, 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 effective for the majority of people. And we're learning that. Uh, but I know this is the right path. Yeah, this absolutely. is the future. Yep. This will be the future because it's based on a hard knowledge of the science that's driving the dysregulated cell growth. And we can have massive improvement. In, but the other problem, I wouldn't say it's a problem, but you're taking, you're making a lot of uh, obese people thin, a lot of people that were uh, diabetic, non-diabetic, no high blood pressure goes away, hypertension goes away. I mean, this like is a, like oh, that. Oh, oh, this is a this is a cash cow for an industry. Mm-hmm. In other words, you're taking away all of the besides the cancer, you're making people very healthy. They don't need the drugs and things like this. So, um, so I don't know how that how the system is going to deal with that. But you know, I just want to show that we we can do what we and there's enough. We have a movie coming out um, that's already part. It's a five part series. Yeah, we're called, in it. <laughs> Mum and I, Mum and I are in it. Oh, yeah, the cancer revolution. Yeah, 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 a wonderful, wonderful work that they're doing. I think when people begin to see all these so-called terminal cancer patients not alive, (laughs) exactly, meant to be dead long ago. (laughs) Yeah, there's another, there's another, another patient from uh, New Zealand with Doctor Phillips, uh, Phillips, Matthew Phillips. He has a patient that was absolutely considered a, a dead person walking. Wow. Uh, they had a, a malignant thyroid cancer that kills almost everybody. And that person came on perfectly healthy. I mean, it was a struggle to, to get rid of it, but, but she certainly is doing well now in New Zealand. He's, he's been part of our uh, consultation team as well. Well, so, I've got to get hold of him too. Then oh, the, yeah. And yeah. One of his, well, his patient is in the same movie. Well, we're both going to be in the same movie. That's that's yes, fair. Your mother, yeah. and, your mother, and the other New Zealand will be in there. You guys yeah. got to start connecting with each other. You'll yeah. find a- <laughs> We've gone to Boston to come back to New Zealand. Okay. Absolutely. I, I work. I work with the Australians. I work with the people from India. I, I work with the Chinese. I work with the Koreans. Uh, you know, we work with the Germans and the English and the French and the Turks. And the, and the, Amazing. The Egyptians. <laughs> and so this is wonderful. This is wonderful. You, actually, I heard on one of your lectures you're talking about the Istanbul, um, yeah. some, some some researchers Istanbul using your approach, but then adding in low, low, low dose chemo. And I know yeah. Dr. David Minkoff does this as well. Um, is that insulin potentiated low chemo, or is it just low, low chemo? So you, you're getting the cancer cells really stressed out. You're stealing all their food. They're really at the precipice of dying, and then you just push them over the cliff with yes. some very low doses. Yes, you don't. You can use very, very low doses of chemo, so you don't need these high, high doses. And yeah, and it's a sequence of events. They use hypothermia, some a little insulin yeah. potentiation, keto metabolic therapy. You're, what you're doing, these tumor cells are already very weak. They, 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 and everybody says how strong they are. Yeah, they're strong as long as you feed them glucose and glutamine. Yeah. They become like uh, Samsons. <laughs> but you take you take away that, they have no power. They end up Achilles dying. heel of the cancer. No, no. <laughs> they, they, so a little chemo will just throw them over the edge. And then of course the the, the advert toxic adverse effects from the chemo are so much less. Uh, we have uh Longo, Dr. Longo in Los Angeles, yeah. 
is using water only fasting with low dose chemo. And they and they don't have very minimal toxicity, very, very effective. So, you know, you just need to know your physiology. And, and I said before you you do this, uh, you need to know the physiology of the patient. The, the paper we published with the Istanbul group was a woman with advanced breast cancer that metastasized to her brain and her lungs and her bone. And the, and the clinic in Cleveland, uh, in Ohio, uh, said she was terminal and she would have one month to live. And she went to the Istanbul clinic and was put in emergency care medicine for at least a week and a half or two weeks. She was almost dead from bacterial infections and everything. And finally, she was uh, recovered, was touch and go there for a while. And then then she took the um, metabolic therapy from that clinic. And within a few months, uh, the cancer was gone and she flew back to the United States and then we got pictures of her and her husband enjoying life in Hawaii. Amazing. In Hawaii. Amazing. And this was a woman who was given one month left to live with terminal cancer in the brain and all over. But, but, but you know, I think we can do this in a lot of people. I, mm-hmm. I don't think. It's, and the, the, the institutions always tell me with these guys, oh, they're flukes. They're anecdotes. Yeah. Oh. You know, and I said, why don't you, let's do a big trial. And the problem is I don't want to start a big trial. Because the people doing the trial don't know anything about what I'm talking about. So you really need to train a group of physicians and oncologists and nutritionists. Everybody is on the same page. Everybody understands cancer as a mitochondrial metabolic disease, the new theory. They need to know their physiology. They need, they need to know a variety of different aspects of what they should have been trained for in the first place. And then they would then institute the plan. And we're writing the treatment protocol as we speak. So That's we're getting amazing. feedback from physicians all over the world that are uh, that are adding and subtracting things from their personal experience. And then we'll publish this. And then you'll have a blueprint, a, a protocol plan, how to do it, what to do, all this kind of stuff. And then we'll start getting feedback. And then once we start to see success in many different dimensions, then we can start a large clinical trial because it, it works for every major cancer. They're all dependent on the fermentation. They're not different from each other. Genetically, they're all different from each other. Metabolically, they're all similar to each other. It's a huge so, point because people are so in the minutiae of the, the mutations. And I was yeah. at the beginning, I did advanced genetic testing, trying yeah. to work out. And and I think there's, you know, there's the downstream of that is good that we need to understand those things, but it's really the you know go yeah. go higher up the tree, cut the cut the yeah. fuel off. But how do you get it? Like when when I go to my uh, our local hospital, I walk in there to the mum gets her she's got a porter calf and we get our, our blood flush thing done every month, and when they're sitting there, all the chemo patients with their chocolate and their uh, yeah. orange juice and their and the oncologist said to mum last time when we walked out afterwards. Oh, you've lost a bit of weight, Isabel. Eat your pudding. And, and mum looks at me and goes, that ain't happening, is it? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that isn't happening, Ma. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, here's the thing. And again, it's it's like a, a solidification of the mind. Um, yeah, they were trained. Incredible. Yeah, uh, they were trained. Oncologists were trained to worry about weight loss. And and uh, we have we have different yeah. kinds of weight loss. So if you have explain cachexia, yeah, yeah, explain that. Yeah, weight loss from cachexia, the cancer cells break down the muscles 
they send signals to the muscle and the muscle breaks down into amino acids. And some of those amino acids are glutamine and some of them are lysine and other glycogenic amino acids that go to the liver. And the liver takes those amino acids and makes sugar and uh, for the tumor and the glutamine coming out of the muscle is the other fuel. So your muscles are, your cancer is dissolving your muscles. You're losing weight because the cancer needs glucose and glutamine. And therefore, and that weight loss is called pathological weight loss. Then you treat the patient with toxic chemicals and radiation. And that causes the patient gets so sick they can't eat. And then you get uh, starvate or you get another form of poisonous weight loss because the patient is poisoned. Uh, people who are poisoned have fatigue, nausea, and diarrhea, and this kind of thing. So the knee-jerk mindless reaction is eat carbohydrates to put weight back on, which is fueling the tumor. That So uh, metabolic therapy causes uh, uh, therapeutic weight loss. The weight loss therapeutic yeah. weight loss. Your body is getting healthier while you're losing weight, not more, not sicker. And, you know, even uh, I've heard st- uh, 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 feedback from some patients that are morbidly obese, um, you know, 300 more uh, pounds, you know, 250 kilos or whatever. And the, and the physician is worried about weight loss. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like when you've got a very thin, slim person, you know, then it's that that initial weight loss scares the hell out of them. Yeah, and I've had and I've dealt with because I work with a lot of these people, helping them get under the right doctors and do the right things and coordinate yeah. the exercise, yeah. and nutrition, and, and 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 getting people who are very slim to do this metabolic approach is really difficult because they're scared that if they lose a little bit more weight, they're really mm. going to be in trouble, but it's therapeutic weight loss versus yes. pathologic weight yes. loss. Absolutely. And that, and that's not recognized. No. And, uh, and the other uh, uh, crazy thing you see again, from the solidification of the training in the mind, they look at ketosis as pathological ketoacidosis. Yeah, which is not. Therapeutic yeah. ketosis. Mm, we all evolved in a state of therapeutic ketosis. But people with type 1 diabetes can get uh, ketoacidosis, which is high blood sugar and ketones, which is a lethal uh, event. And they think, oh, ketogenic diets are going to get ketoacidosis. I mean, this is not, this is crazy. Yeah. You've got to know the extremes of the, uh, the, of what you're, of what you're working with. And then, you know, they'll come out and say, oh, eating that ketogenic diet is bad for your heart. Yes. Oh, if yeah. I sat down all day long and ate tubs and tubs of lard, yeah, it might not be good, but that's not what we do. <laughs> no. And it's not the keto diet of the bodybuilders and who are pounding bacon and you know things yeah. like that my keto diet for mum was basically small amounts of protein mostly white as so a fish and chicken um yeah. it was iffy on the red meat and i would love your take on red meat um and i and, and vegetables like you know salads and, and and green leafy vegetables so she got some nutrients and things in and then yeah. we've relaxed it a little bit of you know in, in the yeah. so that she can enjoy now 20 months into it but I, you know, periodically I make it go hard again because I, I know, yeah. and we exercise every single yeah. day and yeah. we do hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I'd love your take yeah. on that. 
And yeah. and that I have a clinic. I have oxygen, a hyperbaric oxygen clinic, and I yeah. and I've I saw it save her life from the brain injury, and then yeah. I've seen it be a big part of her cancer comeback yeah. as well. Well, I think as we said in the press pulse, the patients should be in therapeutic ketosis when they go into that chamber. Yeah, and the timing of the day, like they would do a measuring using the glucose ketone index calculator to know what point, what time of the day do you have the lowest GKI. Mm. Uh, because it varies on a pay. Every person is a little different. It, it could vary from one time to another. And they would know their body rhythm. And they would say, oh, you know, late morning is my best time or mid-afternoon is my best time or early evening is my best time. And whatever that is, a time, that's when they go into yes, the hyperbaric chamber. chamber. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So again, this is the doses, timing, and scheduling of everything. What about the uh, intravenous vitamin C? Um, Not, well, you know, um, that causes uh, oxidative stress. Again, oxidative stress on the tumor cells and therapeutic uh, enhancement of the normal cells. Again, all that works, all that stuff works better when the patient is in ketosis. Yeah. So these are uh, good adjunctive things to add yes. into the, the gram. Yeah. That's, right. that's part of the whole diet drug. A procedural cocktail that that is all part of the we wrote that and you know there's a lot of parts to this therapeutic strategy that we developed but the physicians need to perfect and know when what each part when to use each part and how uh, uh to do it and, and that's what we're we're working on now and again you know this is not sexy science this is what we need to know on how to use the weapons and the tools that we have to manage this disease and it's we don't have to discover uh, anything more. I mean, there might be some other drugs that could come along that could target glutamine in a little bit better way. But those drugs by themselves are never going to be the solution. Right. They may have some therapeutic benefit, but it'll never be the way it would be if you also targeted the glucose and yeah. put the patient into nutrition. So if we... If- <clears throat> If you know, like with with uh, mum's uh, therapy, we did hard out intravenous vitamin C. We combined it with hyperbaric. I'd go straight from yep. the, the vitamin C clinic to our our hyperbaric clinic straight in there. She was on a very low carb keto diet. I I did struggle at the beginning because she was on dexamethasone because hers was in the brain, and we yep, had yep. to be on dexamethasone, otherwise her brain would have taken more and more damage. You know, it was one of those situations especially after the surgery but i got her off that as fast as i could because that stopped her being in ketosis right yes so i could not get her up into the threes and the fours and then her microbiome was another thing that was massively impacted and that also hindered me getting the ketosis up to a a, a really therapeutic level um so it's not always easy to get people into that therapeutic ketosis is it like the threes and the fours well i think i think one of the things that prevents like when I when my students that are young kids, well, not yeah. kids are in twenties, uh, with no cancer, with no health issues, I mean they can get into these zones like quick yeah, and like that. Zones. I mean, but eighty year old with yeah. you know well, a history. Year old, yeah. I mean it's harder anything the older you get, the harder anything is. But but they but um uh I find that many of the conventional drugs and treatments uh, interfere with uh, getting into ketosis. Yeah, and um, you're you're absolutely correct about getting off a of dexamethasone. It might be important to have it, have it there for a short period of time, mm. but not for long periods of time. Like in brain cancer, they keep those poor folks on that high. Their face swells up. It's called moon face. Yeah, it's horrible. You can never get. You can't get into therapeutic ketosis 
when you have high constant high dexamethasone or any cancer for that matter. And, so what and do they see, do, those poor people with glioblastomas and things, you know? With well, yeah, uh, we pu- that's what our big published uh, uh, case is. And, uh, and that's what, um, you know, Anthony um, uh, Claffey there, he was a glioblast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he, he's in Western Australia uh, in Perth. And he treats glioblastoma patients. And I, the hardest part of keeping glioblastoma patients is is uh, 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 preventing the radiation treatment. Um, yeah. The radiation frees up the radiation frees up massive amounts of glucose and glutamine in the brain. Holy and, crap! Really? Uh, yeah, that's why everybody's dead. So the treatment themselves is killing everybody. And, uh, you know, they get really upset when I tell them this. Yet, I, yet I've published paper after paper after paper showing the mechanism by which the very treatment for the GBM patient uh, solidifies yes. their death. Um, so, you know, we don't want to throw out all parts of the standard of care. We, we would like to have we have a watchful waiting period where we can use metabolic therapy to shrink the tumor down. The surgeon would come in and then debulk as much as he can get. And then we transition the patient over to a really good metabolic uh, therapy without temozolomide or radiation. And these folks seem to live and do so much better. The problem is radiation oncology has become an institution in itself. And to, to say that you no longer want to use radiation for brain cancer management, they get very, very angry. Heresy. But, but, but I said, what about the poor patient? I mean, you're angry because you're not generating revenue uh, for your for your occupation, but that treatment is absolutely killing your patient. And so you have this conundrum: uh, How do I? What can I do now? Uh, I, you know, I've been doing this my whole life, irradiating people, and I went I went and got all the data from all the different clinical trials, and it's so beautiful how fast people die from a, a glioblastoma treatment. And I said. Very few of us in the sciences can ever design an experiment to be so beautifully replicable as the treatment killing patients with a, with a, with standard of care. And yet, it's still every single one is going through that. You know, yes. it's, it's just everywhere. As yep. a matter of fact, the radiation oncology departments are usually some of the wealthiest parts of all medical schools. Mm-hmm. So, so you're not going to get anybody raising their hand to say, "Let's stop this anytime soon." Uh, despite the fact that it's absolutely counterproductive to the longevity of their patients. And uh, the science is all there. And then you tell people that, you know, do you know about Otto Warburg? Do you know about glucose and glutamine? And they never heard of that. So how is it possible that you're treating a cancer patient with a therapy that's freeing up the very fuels uh, that's driving the, the dysregulated cell growth, and you never heard uh, of any of this? And you never, you don't know the the biology of the tumor that you're treating. I mean, I don't want to badmouth these poor guys, but they need to be re-educated. They need to be retrained. Uh, otherwise, we are not going to get any major advances in managing these cancers, these deadly stage four cancers. The whole system needs to be uh, reevaluated and reconfigured. So metabolic, it's called metabolic oncology. Metabolic therapy, metabolic oncology will become the new field to manage cancer. There's tremendous resistance on the part of this in the medical schools. There's a tremendous desire for this on the part of the population, the public. The public wants this. 
the institution does not want this. So you got to go figure what's going to happen. It's going to take a long time. Well, I mean, as I say in many of my podcasts, I mean, so we're we're locked into sacrificing all these poor souls yeah. uh, only because the system does not want to change. Where's and the revolution? I'm working with a, with a, someone with cancer and, and, and I tell them all of this stuff and I say, go and read this and do this and study that and, and, and do these interviews and listen to this. And then they go, they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go to their oncologist yep. who in their eyes is still God often. Yes. And then they say, they just poo-hoo everything that I've shared with them. And then the yeah. poor, the poor person is going, who do I believe? Her or? Him or well, you know, all, I, all I say is just look at the statistics of your survivability using their procedure, and uh, and the and the movie coming out, the cancer revolution, yeah. not only has your mother, but has dozens and dozens of folks that were also called terminal, and they jumped on the and a lot. And it takes a lot of courage it does. to tell your oncologists you don't want what they're selling. Very much courage, uh, because they come at you with a with an army of white coats. And uh, all looking like they know what they're talking about and uh, makes you feel real comfortable yep. until that until you reach a situation where they say, well, there's nothing more we can do. Yep. Uh, what do you mean? There was plenty you could do, uh, but you needed to do it the right way. And uh, well, I never heard of that. Or they have all these excuses at that. And they point. never study this. The person who is the outlaw. Nobody no, has I, said I, to I me that, why. I, yeah, I find that astonishing. Just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com, and hit the shop button, and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world, interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there. Stuff that I give to my family, that's what's in my range. So go and check it out at lisatarmity.com. I can't tell you how many success stories we have had from terminally ill patients that were given very little time to live who have turned the whole thing around and then go back to their oncologists and almost to the person never asking, what the hell did you do? You know what they say? Well, that seems to be good. Just keep doing what you're doing. Well, yeah. don't you know want to know why and how it turned around? It's like, no. Now, what is infecting the brain of these people to not want to know what their patients are doing? They're in the business to help pay their patients. They get a patient who does really, really well, and they don't want to know it what happened. You're an exception. And you, yes. you get told that you, you're, well, I wrote a book about mum's first journey with the aneurysm and the stroke and uh, about this, you know, apparently she's going to die and there's nothing we can do. That was back yeah. eight years ago. Uh, and her doctor saw her actually four years later or so. She was walking down the, the walkway by herself and I was in a coffee shop up the road talking to a friend, her doctor, who had written her off and had said she's the, below the level of the worst dementia patient, word for word, um, and she will never do anything again. And here she is. She w- sees my mum walking by herself <laughs> down the walkway, and she comes into the co- co- coffee shop like, oh, my God, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And y- your mother's walking out there, and she's by herself. And, and I said, yeah, do you want to know what I did? And she said, no. 
and turned around and walked out the door. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I don't, you, somebody should write a book on that. Well, I did. Because it's like, how is it possible that you have a solution to the problem and the very practitioners do not want to or care about it? <laughs> and like, then the, I had the head of the medical council here accuse me saying to me, we were having a, a robust discussion um, about uh, all the woo-woo shit that was presented at this conference that I was an MC for, you know, this wellness things. It was apparently yeah. all woo-woo bullshit. And he yeah. said, you're making people false hope. And I said, you took all the hope with yeah. mum. Well, you and your colleagues took all well, hope. I, 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 no, you're, I think many in many cases, uh, the, the conventional standard treatments for cancer offers people false hope. Um, now, you have to also realize some of the immunotherapies have had considerable success. Uh, PDL1 inhibitors, the mm-hmm. Updevo and Gartruda, but they don't often talk about the, what we call hyperprogressive disease, which is that the, the therapies kill the patient before the tumor does. Yeah. And you get about 20% of the people die uh, from the treatment. Well, there should be no reason why you should treat any human being with a procedure that has a, a 20% chance of killing them or making their life worse. Now, what my, what my view is, is that if we use metabolic therapy and we can uh, chisel down a tumor into a nub or a very residual thing, but we can't, no matter what we throw at them metabolically, it never seems to go away. Um, it's always there. Those kinds of cancers, those cells have obviously survived a, a lot of uh, trauma to their population, but whatever is left in my view, based on evolutionary biology, they all may express a certain kind of a marker uh, similar to each other because they all are that uh, are similar in having survived this. That's where maybe one of these targeted immunotherapies uh, could come all, come in and finish the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but ra- rather than doing it at the very beginning, uh, they should do it perhaps at the end. Uh, like the final, the final chapter in the in your healing process may be some one of these fancy immunotherapies, uh, because the tumor now is very restricted. It's just hanging on, and maybe this one little uh, hit with an immuno, immunotherapy could be the solution yep. uh, for compl- for complete resolution. Um, but going after tumors. Uh, at the beginning when they're raging and knowing that they're driving by glucose and glutamine and then hitting them with a drug uh, that doesn't target glucose and glutamine is, is absurd. It's nonsensical. And, and, the interesting, yeah, and, and the interesting thing, it's incredible. In brain cancer, none of these immunotherapies work. And in many cancers, they don't work. And the argument is the microenvironment is so acidified in the tumor, the immunotherapies don't work. Okay, listen, what's causing the acidification? It's the fermentable fuels of glucose and glutamine and the waste dump products are acidifying the microenvironment. So if I take away glucose and glutamine, remove the acidification in the microenvironment, now your immunotherapies may be a lot more effective. Wow. I mean, it's Mm. just, that's that you know what I just said is because I understand the biology of what we're dealing with, mm. and when you have a clear knowledge of the biology of the problem, there are many many non toxic solutions to this problem. 
The problem is the system uses the one size fits all. They Emma. think cancer is a genetic disease of somatic mutations. They advertise in the United States that we have therapies for the EGFR receptor, the epidermal growth factor receptor. Mm-hmm. Like this is the new, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is complete crap. Those EGFR re- uh, cancers are, are fermenting just like all the other cancers. Now, if you if you get rid of most of those with metabolic therapy and the last few in the tumor have an EGFR receptor, then maybe your uh, immunotherapy could come in and finish the job. But you can't go after a cancer, a lung cancer. Uh, the chances of complete success are very minimal. Shrink it down, take away the fermentable fuels. And then if there's some residual thing, you go in with the EGFR receptor immunotherapy. Wow. You just... You just have to know, and that's because I understand the biology of the disease. I work mm. on it day and night, 24-7 for 30 damn years. Yeah. You know? And once you understand yeah. all this stuff, and then you get frustrated because the, no matter how many papers I publish, no matter how many interviews I give, it's still, they, get, they don't understand. I said, gee, what am I going to do? Yes, you know? but the people on the street are hearing, Dr. Thomas, the people. And when the people start to hear about this and start to push back and start to go to their doctors and start to push for change, then we slowly, slowly turn the ship around. And it, it is a, it is like trying to shift a cruise liner, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's slow and it's, but well, every no, the, person. The, the, the patients are the consumers. The patients yes. are the benefactors of all of this. Yeah, and, and they're, and they're the, voting with their feet eventually. Yes, you know, absolutely. And we're going to be starting clinics. Uh, one of my key uh, colleagues, Dr. Thomas Durier, MD, PhD, is presently in Burgoon, uh, Switzerland, uh, mm-hmm. discussing uh, clinics and strategies uh, for using metabolic therapy for uh, cancer and some other diseases. Um, yeah, it's going to come. Uh, we're going to clinics will come up. I, I've spoken. You know, the funny thing is. I'm always speaking to these entrepreneurs who come to me. Oh, man, they say your stuff is so great. This is so wonderful. And, and they can never figure out how they can make a, a lot of money on it. <laughs> yeah, this is the problem. But it's, yeah, big yeah. problem. <laughs> big, big problem. Big problem. And yeah, they yeah. come up from the top business schools and the top wealthy entrepreneurs. They made millions on these other things. And now they say, oh, we're going to move into this area and, and really kickstart the whole thing. And then when they find out that, what are you doing? Well, I'm not eating any. I'm just drinking water, taking a few cheap repurposed drugs. Oh, man, I don't know how to make money on this. I mean, what are we yep. going to do? It's the you same know? and everywhere. It's the I same with things like that. The patient themselves and their yeah. family. But then so, you get so, philanthropists, the ones who actually want to make a change. And, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's who support our work. Yeah. And uh, our my work is supported by private foundations and philanthropy. Amazing. Uh, where they're not interested in how much money they can make. They just want to know the money they donate to me. Is it going to have a humanitarian impact? And believe me, it will. It and they is. just don't care whether they make a buck. Some of these guys are already super wealthy. Uh, they just want to know if they give money to a, 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 an effort, will, will there be something coming? And the answer is absolutely, because we're developing glucose, or the, the strategies for uh, scheduling timing and, and uh, new drug, new combos of diet drug cocktails. Look at the paper we just published, uh, came out yesterday for pediatric brain cancer. We use diet drug therapy. We took a drug from, from pancreatic cancer that was a complete bust. It had no, no therapeutic benefit in the clinic for, used by itself for pancreatic cancer. And then we tested it on our preclinical mouse with 
nothing with no, just the drug and it was the same as the human it had no effect it was it was the, we put it together with the rest of our metabolic cocktail and the damn drug is super powerful awesome amazing and, yeah so so you so would you want your drug to work or you just want to make a lot of money so um you know i'm not against making money you know, my students and I have thought about it, but I said, right now, let's make sure that we, that people can live longer like your mom and, and yep. hundreds of others, just to know that we're on the right path. Um, once you know that, I, I consider that a, a, a reward, a well, we're rewarding itself. I don't uh, have to make a billion dollars to know that uh, this metabolic therapy can, can manage. And I don't want to call can- our work a cure for cancer. I want to say it's an effective man. It's a better state of management than we currently have. If some people are living really, really long without a recurrence, you know, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, I, we don't, metabolic therapy doesn't guarantee people are going to be cured. It, it pretty much says the probability of longer t- t- survival with a higher quality of life, you have a better chance for that. Yeah. And but you can die with cancer. No idea. Not- not of cancer, you know, yeah. that's the goal at a hundred and yeah. something, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> not, so I mean, this is, this is where it is. And we're all producing cancer cells every day. It's just that we have immune systems that for, for most of us are on top of it. Um, yeah. and, well, and you, so, certainly, you, you certainly get rid of it faster if you did intermittent fasting. Yeah. Uh, exactly. The body turns and the dog cancer paper that we just recently published on a, removing a, a big mast cell tumor on the face of a, of a dog. Uh, that's a very interesting study. And in there, I, I put in the concept of autolytic cannibalism, which is where our body turns on the tumor and uses it for food. Uh, and this is based, again, wow. on evolutionary, evolutionary principles. So and that woman, she tried, um, uh, she didn't want any chemo or radiation for her dog. And then she put the dog on a, on a, a vegetable diet with a little bit of cooked meat and the damn tumor grew much faster. And then she looked at that wolves because all dogs are descendants of wolves. And she said, oh, wolves are carnivores, you know. Uh, um, so she put the dog on, on a raw chicken uh, with fish oil, raw, a little raw egg, a little, a little uh, oil and calorie restriction. And within a few months, the damn tumor was completely gone and the body turns on it. Oh, yeah. Look at the data. I have it all published in there. It's a very nice case report. And, you know, cancer is number one killer of domestic dogs as well. Yeah. So, yep. um, yeah, the same strategy, mm. same strategy works for, for every because all these wow. cancers are fermenters, regardless if it's a dog, a mouse, a cat, a human. They're all the same. It, very similar. They can't live without fermentable fuels and glucose and glutamine are the prime fermentable fuels. So it all comes together quite nicely. It does. And so, and, you know, I'm just so grateful for all of the stuff that you are doing. And, and I'm, and I'm keen for the nuance now, the, the, the nuance of the, of the studies that you're doing so that we can refine things better and do things a little bit more sophisticated and yeah. training up the doctors, like, so that we can get doctors who are going to be able to do this press pass yeah. strategy, you know, cause not everybody can go it alone. Like, like no. I've done. You know, no, and what you I need had to doctors do in the mix, but in but, many yeah. of these podcasts, because I don't have time to go through the nitty gritty details of everything that I'm saying. No, but we do publish all these op- papers open access. Anybody can go onto the web and just put my name in there and say publication. What's he doing? And people say, "Oh, I talked this and I talked that. And I don't have the evidence." Let them read the damn papers for crying <laughs> out! What the hell, they're out there. You want you want to know the details? Read the damn paper. 
I'm not, yeah. I don't have, I don't have, you know, 20 hours to stand here and give you the details of every one of these uh, pathways, exactly. but you can read about them and you can judge for yourself. And then you can take the paper and talk to your oncologist about it. <laughs> you know, it's there. And that will just chuck you out at the moment. But anyway, look, yeah. Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for, okay. for uh, all of your, your amazing work. It is changing lives you and your colleagues um and, and shout out to maggie bradley and jones uh, at the cancer yeah. revolution i'm excited for that movie to come out and, and we're just each one by one getting the message out there to the people that are listening to this that need this information and it's not perfected and it's not all but it probably never will be uh but we have tools now that we can we can use right now so i'm so super grateful for you and all your work it's absolutely amazing Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Lisa. It's been a real pleasure. That's actually wonderful. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review, and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com.